with perfumed flowery garlands of the most bee-berserking hues, I greet you, dear listeners, and I adorn you. The heartiest, lungiest, and kidneyest of welcomes to episode two of Cop On. Find us on Twitter at Cop On Podcast or email coponpodcast at gmail.com. Go on. My name is Owen. And I really, honestly, 100% hope that you find today's show at least enjoyable, if not smashing. In the first part, I'm on the line with two JCs simultaneously, Jamie Connolly, all the way from Los Angeles, and also I was delighted to welcome Joe Casinelli, Spanish football correspondent for The Times and ESPN. They're both huge Red fans, so as I find and found myself pondering Liverpool's season to come with a zest that Nigella never managed to squeeze from any lemon, I wondered how they were both feeling as well. Here's Jamie. Um, I'm pretty excited though, possibly slightly less poetically than you, but no, I think we've got a, a great chance this year actually. I think we've done some, some good business and I'm excited to see the the team kick off in a week. Excellent. I'm, I'm, I like it. Start off on an optimistic note. How, what about you, Joe? How are you feeling? It's probably the most excited I've been supporting Liverpool in certainly in my my adult life that I can remember. I mean, since when does since when do Liverpool make world record signings in certain positions? You know, since when do we get one of the the best holding midfielders in Europe and one of the best sort of box to box midfielders in Europe, sir? An exciting time to be a Liverpool fan, even if, you know, counting your chickens and the fact that Manchester City are a big, big old elephant in the room, but, you know, could be worse, could be, could have Jose Mourinho as manager, I guess. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's the second time I've thought we could win this um, in my adult life. I think the first was under Rafa. Having come second, I thought we'd push on, and obviously we didn't. Um, but, yeah, I think we're... With the signings we made and the manager we have, we have every chance of at least like pushing or matching Manchester City this year. Fantastic. I like it, guys. I like it. So, um, I mean, just to just to clarify then, how long have you been an, an LFC fan, Joe? I mean, if it's the, the first, you know, if it's as excited as you've ever been as a, as a fan, as an adult, I mean, how long have you been a, a Liverpool fan? Uh, a week. No, um, I'm 27, and I'm from the area originally, from a place called Southport, which is sort of like, for people who are listening who aren't from the area, it's about 15 miles down the road. So everyone at my school was either a Liverpool fan or an Everton fan, and I just happened to be fortunate enough to have been born into a Liverpool sporting family. So essentially, yeah, all my life, just unfortunately, born in 1990, the 90s weren't... Uh, weren't the most successfully productive times of Liverpool Football Club. Excellent. And what about you, Jamie? When when did you start following the Reds? So I am, um, you can tell by my accent that I'm Irish, a very strong Irish brogue. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Um, growing up in, in Dublin, I was given the choice. Um, essentially, everyone around me supported either, all my family supported Man United. And there was a, an element who said you could support United or maybe Celtic and I've always been contrarian and so I chose Liverpool largely based on seeing Stephen Manneman run down the wing 
and that has been sold. And uh, yeah, ever since my family have been able to rub in title after title after title. So I'm excited now for the first time in a long time. I think we're in significantly better shape than them, with a better squad than them, and might finally be able to get one back up over on my family. I I, I sincerely hope so. Um marvelous stuff a great answer yes and and just for the record i mean i've been i mean i'm 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 slightly older than you guys 38 and i've been supporting since the the glory days of john barnes and uh by Zeus, it's uh, it's a it's a it's an exciting time now. I mean, you know, we bludgeoned Manchester United, we we thwacked Napoli on the chops the other day, and uh, you know, I don't know. I'm just I'm just absolutely, you know, deliriously uh, giddy with it all. I mean, it's all good fun. So in this show, in this special edition, as asked by email, we shall. We shall ponder the transfer business done by the last five Premier League champions prior to their title-winning seasons. So, in the last five years, the champions have been symmetrically, wonderfully, Manchester City, then Chelsea, then Leicester, then Chelsea, and then again last season, Manchester City, of course. So, jumping right in there, going back to Manchester City's summer of 2013, before the heartbreaking season that we had, they bought some interesting players. They bought Fernandinho, they bought Jesus Navas, they bought Jovetic, they bought Negredo, they bought Martin Di Michaelis for £91.1 million. Guys, do you remember that? Does anyone stand out from that list? Does anything, I mean, if not, we'll just move on, but does anything... uh... It's a mad list because, I mean, really, of that... The only one I can think of being an unqualified success or well, a success is probably Fernandinho for them. Yeah, definitely. Um, I agree. He's a complete standout on that list because he's well, still there and he's still a key part of the side and he plays the most, well, well, what some people might argue is the most important position on the pitch for a team that want to attack, which is defence and midfield. And obviously bringing it back sort of full circle to Liverpool, I think that many a fan has been crying out for a defensive midfielder since having Mascherano left the club. And Fernandinho yeah. has kind of shown over the last five years the benefits of having a, a top-quality defensive midfielder. However, now, hopefully, we've got our own. Yeah, it feels like they made it's an incredible... Well, I guess at the time, £30 million was more than £30 million today. But, you know, it's the same that Chelsea play, paid for Kante. And it's definitely the price of a a top-rate defensive midfielder, and we'll see with Fabinho if he can if he can have the same impact for us as Fernandinho did for them. But thirty million to solve that position for five years and going strong seems like they made a great bit of business. Exactly, they've won the title twice since then, and you know they haven't won the Champions League, but they've gone quite far, and they've always been, you know, they've been one of the top teams in Europe. And that's uh, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, that he's uh, Fernandinho is the one that really jumps out. What a what, what a fantastic success he's been, and what a player for them. Um, but yeah, okay, let's go on to Chelsea. Some of 2014, before their title-winning team of that season, they bought Cesc Fabregas from Barca for 27 million. They bought. Diego Costa for 32 million and they bought the left back Felipe Luis 
for 15.8 million. And it's worth noting that in January, they splashed out for Quadrado from Fiorentina for 23.3 million. They spent that season a total of 88.1 million, slightly less than Man City the, the year before. But okay, from that one, surely, surely you've got to agree with me, Joe. Diego Costa is the standout name from that list. Yeah, well, I mean, he came in and he just tore defences to shreds, didn't he? He, he obviously he won the league with Atletico Madrid, led the line for them the year before, got them to the Champions League final, showed everyone exactly uh, what he was made of. Obviously, that that season for Atletico Madrid, people might remember, came after a summer of him being linked to Liverpool, in which, uh, as we were in our sort of former existence used as players to get new contracts by a lot of agents. Uh, and, yeah, imagine doing a cost up front with Luis Suarez. Anyway, um, he was sensational for Chelsea. And I think that last season, certainly at least, well, in the last six months of last season, when he was winning the Europa League with Atletico, really saw what Chelsea missed after his falling out with Antonio Conte. Joe, sure, yeah, can I ask you a question to someone who covers Atletico? Sure. Do you think Chelsea, like, do you think it was just the falling out that meant that he came home, so to speak, or do you think there's anything Chelsea could have done to keep him? Because it seems madness. We talked about Fernandinho giving City, you know, five plus years and solving that problem for 30 million. And do you think Chelsea could have done the same with Costa, um, only to lose him within ridiculous circumstances? Unless, of course, his heart was set on a move back to Athletic. Yeah, to be honest with you, like, I don't think that there was pretty much. I think that Costa. You know, to be fair, he did. It gave Chelsea three seasons, in which, you know, he he won the league twice, and he was the live leader. And I think he basically just kind of turned around and said, oh, "Look, guys, I've given you two years, sorry, three years. I absolutely hate it here. I can't stand the weather. Can't speak the language. Don't like the food. Let me go." And obviously, new manager came in. You know, worked for a while, and then he had a falling out with Conte. And I think that there might have been sort of broken promises or sort of misinterpretations in terms of we'll let you go if we get a reasonable offer, etc. You know, he fell out with Conte and, you know, the rest is history. Obviously, Morata has appeared to be the polar opposite of the own costume. There's a famous mem of Costa sort of gouging Martin Skirtle's eye next to a picture of Alvaro Morata on Instagram brushing his girlfriend's hair to sort of illustrate the difference between the two strikers and their attitudes. But... I don't think that there's anything that Chelsea could have done to keep him. You know, they waved a lot of money at him when he signed. Obviously, he played in a different couple of managers. He did a job, and I just think that he had his heart set on a move back to Madrid. And you can see from how he's settled back into life at Atletico Madrid, just what the club means to him. And I don't think I I honestly don't think there's anything that they could have done other than have lost him in less farcical circumstances and replaced him better. But they yeah, were so it's, a failure. it's a failure of planning then. Yeah. So like knowing Eventually. that he's gonna leave, knowing that he wants out, knowing that he's done his time and and ending up with Morata. Yeah, pretty much. And I also think that given Morata's profile, I mean obviously he's not the same kind of striker as Costa, but you know, very, very few people in world football are. However, I don't think that they could have foreseen Morata having such a rough time in his debut season in English football, but then you've got to think, well, that could always happen. You know, in your first season when you're a youngster, you move country, 
and he got to get Maratto Spanish, he's playing in Italy and has now moved to England. He's still only sort of 24 years old, so there's still plenty of time for him to improve. I just think that you know, maybe they could have had another, got another senior striker in as well, which they did in January. And as we saw, Olivier Giroud became first choice and played really well up front. So I think that they just maybe, if they'd have made that Giroud signing alongside Maratta last summer, uh, yeah, then they'd have been in a much better position. And I think that you could clearly see that you know, they were linked to every sort of target man under the sun, including you know, Chris Wood and Peter Crouch, which was incredible. But I think that Conte clearly wanted that, and it's the club maybe didn't prepare well enough for it, I don't think. I think that it was kind of a standoff, and in the end, player power went through. It's, yes, it, it does seem like a farce at Chelsea, doesn't it? Their, their strategy, their, their, their planning and things like that. But I think, you, you know... In that same summer, I mean, you know, we knew all season that Suarez was going to leave. And what do we replace him with? You know, I don't even want to think about it. It was, uh, you know, it's uh, those are pretty dark times that season. Um, So, yeah, let's move on to to Leicester City with a sitting wonderfully in the middle of that symmetry. Leicester City, their total summer spend, it's not even their net spend, is was eighteen point six million pounds? Absolutely, it's a joke. Uh, and then in the in in January they strengthened. You know they splashed out another eight point seven million on uh, you know a couple of other players. So in total, who did they buy? They bought Christian Fuchs, brilliant left back, I think. Robert Huth, who had a wonderful sort of Indian summer. Uh, to his career, uh, Shinji Okazaki, great hard-working player, uh, my favourite, one of my favourite midfielders uh, in the world, who's obviously not Liverpool, uh, is uh, Golo Kante from Caen, 5.6 million. Uh, they bought someone called Johan Benaluan, or I don't know who the heck that is, and uh, Gokan In Inla, who um, from Napoli, who I've you know vaguely, I think they vaguely played. And then in January they bought Daniel Amate and Demarai Gray. So they bought tons of players. They did a Harry Redknapp, Jamie. They they sort of you know they they splashed out you know. And, hardly any money but you know they they spread out their money on 20 players and and they hoped that some of them would come good i mean you know what do you what do you reckon to that that summer and that winter for leicester i mean, it's an aberration isn't it that that they managed to to come good every year liverpool have come good we've come good against a team that's had a phenomenal or a ridiculous season and then leicester i've I still think i've got over the fact that that they picked up that, that they won the league in my kind of adult lifetime before before we have. I mean, you're right. Kante's the Kante's the only player on that list who who's a, a quality quality player, and they, you know it's a great deal. It's a risk signing a player from from a team like Caen. Um, you know they they took the risk and it paid off, and they won the league, and then they got a big payday. You know a couple of years down the line or a year later. So you know, it's a, a smart bit of business, but. I don't think that's a, a transfer strategy, you know, that any club could follow. And it took a unique set of circumstances for Leicester to win the league and well done to them and, and all that. But the only name yeah. on that list that is even remotely interesting to me would be N'Golo Kante. And really, can you blame the other big teams for not finding him, you know, their scouting departments and taking a risk on him? Would Well, if we well actually... Them- 
yes, I can. Because, you know, sorry, but, you know, you just watch Kante a couple of times and it's pretty obvious he's awesome, isn't it? I mean, I don't know. I was, I was, I, I, I mean, I was, I was, um, you know, I taught English at Paris Saint-Germain uh, last season and I was in conversation with someone there about uh, N'Golo Kante and, uh, you know, he said that he had been scouted, you know, when, when he was at Caen, he had been scouted by, by, by tons of clubs, but they all decided he was too short. And it made me think of, uh, you know, what the, what the kings of various European countries, how they must have dismissed Napoleon. You know, I don't know. If, I think uh, that, yeah. you know, yeah. with someone like Kante, uh, I think largely what happens, we can kind of bring us back to Liverpool analogy, is that if you look at Virgil van Dijk when he played for Celtic, yes. he was oh. by far and away the best player in that league. He was the best player at Celtic, he was the best player in Scotland, he used to bang in free kicks, he was dominant in the air, you know, he looked everything to play he does now with Liverpool. And I think uh -huh. that a lot of a lot of big clubs are reticent to sort of take a gamble on a player who, you know, say from a Cam or from a Celtic who a big club in inverted commas say a Chelsea a Liverpool a Manchester United it, you know if Liverpool had signed N'Golo Conte that summer everyone would, who, who who's this lad what's going on kind of thing you know you look at sort of the fanfare that you know I myself on this podcast have described Fabinho as like a brilliant defensive midfielder yes and you know he is but I'm largely basing on that on the fact that he cost forty million pounds and was playing in the Champions League. Uh -huh. Whereas, you know, if someone with the same exactly the same profile as him was signed for five million pounds, everyone would be a bit like, Oh, you're from a lower, you know, sort of a mid table club. Everyone would be like, What's that all about? So I think a lot of clubs might have scouted the likes of Kante and the likes of Van Dyke, but you let them go to a Leicester or a Southampton and you watch because I think that the big clubs don't can't really afford to give 12 months to a player to develop in their team because they have to win now. So yeah. I think one of the big things is is that you know uh, take you know, Dominic Solanke. Liverpool don't have 12 months to give him to play in the first team to settle down, etc., etc. Liverpool need to loan him out and he needs to develop on someone else's time. That's the um, thing that they want to do. They don't want Kante or Van Dijk to be a work in progress at a big club. They want to sign them when they're in a finished article. And I think that a lot of clubs, basically, it might not be a lack of scouting. It might just be a lack of patience rather than scouting, I think. Yeah. But there's, on, there's another example in, in our history, which is um, Eden Hazard played against us. And this is when, not having had the time to research, thanks, Owen, um, <laughs> he definitely played against us for Lille in the Europa League in yes, about seven or eight years ago. Yeah. And he may even have played against us for Anderlecht beforehand. Okay. Um, but that one, that one I, I actually may be inventing. No, and I think he was at the academy at Neil. Right, then. So that he but was he did great against Leo. I remember, and he was brilliant, and he was like 16, 17. And, and I remember watching that game and thinking, we have to buy this player. And maybe, you know, maybe... You know, you could say we should be more brave, but at the same time, like, if you look at the reaction online or just in the fan base in general, we buy players like Asaidi cheaply and they're not great after five games. Everyone's like, who is this guy? Like, why are we, why are we scraping the bottom of the barrel champions by champions? 
and it's an unforgiving world going to a big club from a small club. And maybe, yeah, I think you know, I think the time for it has gone. I think the time for that has gone. Basically, you know, the last sort of big example of that happening, Bar Kante, and that was Leicester had a freak year and won the league. But the last time an example of that happening at a really big club is maybe, you know, on a such a grand scale is Cristiano Ronaldo to Manchester United, and as yeah. a once in a generation player, who they just happened to spot in a preseason friendly. So yeah, I think it's as you say, you know, people there's no patience. Need champions by champions. You know, we're yesterday when Liverpool played Napoli, you only need to see the crowd's reaction every when Alison Becker took a goal kick. It's being applauded, you know, for taking essentially for kicking a ball. But yeah. he's a world record goalkeeper and we're all made up with him. Whereas if he'd I have lost five million from Cannes, we'd have all been like, Well, not really solving the problem, is he? Or, or, or five million from, from Germany. Yes, um, from, yeah, from Mainz, yes. Um, I was talking to somebody who is um, a goalkeeping coach. I was talking to this person a couple of months ago. He's a goalkeeping coach in the Premier League. I don't want to say who it is. You just have to believe me. Um, and he was in... He was. We were talking about goalkeepers and he had a very in-depth knowledge of goalkeepers uh, not just in the Premier League and the Championship, but basically the top two divisions of, like, so many different nations. And he knew, he just had it in his head. And I wonder about, you know, the transfer, these people whose job it is to, to, to scout and stuff. I think, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think they do more or less, you know, have encyclopedic knowledges, knowledge of uh, of all these people. But anyway... Um, now I'm nursing on. Yeah, go on. Can I just interject quickly? Because I found this, this Lille game. We, we lost 1-0. It was March 2010. Hazard scored. Um, and in that Lille team, another young player came on against us. And it was Aubameyang. Um, wow. Who, you know, yeah. Wow. Uh, they also had Kabai uh, playing and also Rami in defence. It was quite a, quite, quite a wow. good little Lille team back in 2010. But that was yeah, just no. before the famous Charlie Adams Stuart Downing summer, wasn't it? Yeah, so our <laughs> midfield in that game was looking at it, Gerard Mascherano and Lucas. And I think and that then, got just never had anything close to that for a long time. And then instead of signing Eden Hazard on the back of that performance, yeah. we signed Stuart Downing. Moneyball. Moneyball. It talks. Moneyball yeah. talks, Joe. Um, OK, we 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 got to move on. That's brilliant, though, Jamie. Thank you very much. We've got to go to the next uh, summer, summer 2016. Chelsea were the eventual winners. They spent tons of money. They were obviously annoyed with Leicester having won the league. So they, they, they bought Batshuayi, 33 million. They bought Kante from Leicester for 32 million. I was smashing my head against the table going, why don't we just bid 60, you know? Uh, but anyway, um, Eduardo who was a reserve keeper from Dinamo Zagreb for free. Don't know who the heck that is. They bought Marcos Alonso. What a brilliant left back from Fiorentina, 23 million. And they bought David Luiz from Paris Saint-Germain uh, for 30 million. Um, they didn't do anything in January. Uh, and so their total spend for that whole season was 108 million. Hmm. Uh, so obviously Kante stands out from there. Batshuayi, where do you stand on Batshuayi, Jamie? 
Um, I knew that was going to be the question. Are you <laughs> wow. Clearly, uh, clearly, I, I mean, the price tag isn't the same as Kante the year before, but it's what Joe was saying. I think it's in line with what Joe was saying about Solanke too. I mean, there's clearly a, a very good footballer in there. And a settled Bacuay at Marseille and at Dortmund is clearly a, a very good footballer. And what, I don't know if the Premier League is unique in not giving players time, but mm-hmm. it probably wasn't a bad signing. But yeah. had he been given time to settle and to, you know, to get a, a run of games, but the Premier League doesn't always allow that. And, you know, I'm sure he's happy enough not playing for Chelsea. But I wouldn't say it was a 33 million for a player like him is probably about fair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll see. I mean, the jury is still out, even though it's two years after. But um, yeah. OK. And uh, Joe, I mean, looking at that list, you get Batshuayi, Kante, Eduardo, Marcus Alonso and David Luiz. Um, Kante, again, is the one that jumps out. And again, it's a defensive midfielder like Fernandinho before. And um, it makes me all very excited that that now we've got a good one in Fabinho. And I've asked loads of people if he's good. Lo- loads of people in France that I know here. And, uh, you know, everybody is unanimously saying, yeah, he's a really good player. So that's wonderful to, to know. Um, it makes me even more excited. The defensive midfield, that's all you need to sort out, you know, to, to win the title, isn't it? I don't know. <laughs> it seems to be a running theme, doesn't it? Uh, you know, as, as we said before, you know, we hadn't had one since Mascherano. We spoke about Fernandinho earlier and Kante twice, and I think it's obviously no coincidence that Kante's played such a key role in two consecutive title-winning sides. I mean, just coming back onto what Jamie said about champions by champions, that is maybe the ultimate example of that that mm-hmm. summer. They just went out, Chelsea, and they went, bum, 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 new manager, Antonio Conte has come in, this is what we want, this is what we need. And I think that one of the things, one of the big things to remember with Chelsea when we were talking about their sort of bad summer last summer is that they quite recently lost their director of football, which might go to explaining some reason why this summer they've not made too many transfers and they're all they're still in a bit of limbo. I think that that was maybe the last summer that Michael Emanalo, who's now the director of football at Monaco, uh, had full control of Chelsea's incomings. And you just need to yes. look at them to see exactly what happened. You know, they just went on to to completely boss the league. What was it, 13 games in a row that they won? Mm-hmm. Or something like something that? Like when that. they just yeah, went... it was about that. Yeah. I, know. I think we've also got to remember that was Klopp's first summer, if I'm not mistaken. You know, because yes. he came in in October 2015, didn't he? So that was his first yes, summer indeed. in 2016. Yeah. So that was maybe when, the, if you look at Liverpool signings of that summer, that was maybe when the foundations were getting laid for what we see now, and the recruitment team now is working as a well-oiled machine. Well, maybe that Chelsea summer in 2016 is an example of what our recruitment team is now doing, because that had been in place for so long that. It just knew exactly what they needed. The manager said, I need X, Y, and Z for these positions. Sort it out. They went out, got it done, paid the money, which seems to be what we've done this summer. Brilliant. Exactly. Love it. It makes me really happy to hear that. Um, Excellent 
I'm going to jump straight in because we we, 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 we're spending a lot of time on this and, and, and I love talking about it. But we've got so much to get through. Um, I'm going to go straight forward to Manchester City summer 2017. And this is a bit nuts. Uh, so in the summer last year, they bought Bernardo Silva, 43 million. They bought Edison, 34.9. Kyle Walker, 45 million. Danilo from Real for 26.5. Benjamin Mendy from Monaco from for forty nine point three million, which people might forget. Uh, and then in January they bought Amaric Laporte for fifty seven million. He's not even a French international. Um, and their total spend was two hundred and fifty five point seven million. Now last night I was looking at the night sky on the coast of. Brittany and it was beautiful and you had but you had too many stars to count and I think this number of 255.7 million is almost too much so what I've done is a little bit of mathematics for you I've looked at the average salary in Paris which is way over my salary but anyway the average salary is 48,902 euros uh, and so I figured out that you have to work 5,229 years uh, gaining the average salary in Paris to make 255 million euros. So, I mean, it's kind of nuts how much money there is in football, isn't there? But anyway, the question I wanted to ask, uh, and I'll go to you first again, Jamie, is, is, is what they did last year to me is they seem to plug the gaps in 1617 city were very good they were close enough but then they had aging fullbacks uh, they had uh, you know they had problems with their goalkeeper joe hart they had problems with creativity so they bought bernardo silva they bought edison they bought a couple of fullbacks they basically fixed their problems and then in january they bought a center back cuz stones otamendi they weren't really convincing anybody company was injured so they've spent shitloads of money on a center back so my question to you jamie is this do you think this year this summer for Liverpool, we have plugged our gaps, or are there still gaps? Right. I'd say there's two two sets of gaps that need to be plugged for the football team. Um, the key is, and I think the theme could be a long answer, the theme through all of this is the spine. So 2013, Fernandinho plugged the gap in the spine. Chelsea, they buy a central midfielder and a centre forward. Um, Leicester, they buy Robert Hood at centre-back and Kante. Um, Chelsea obviously buy Kante the next year and their city, they sort out their goalkeeping issue. And, you know, we, this year, we bought a goalkeeper, central midfielder and a defensive midfielder. And maybe the answer is plugging the gaps in your spine is the key to winning the league. Uh, we don't have the money to do what City have done to plug all the other gaps in a squad. I mean, the fact that Looking at our squad, looking at gaps, I mean, a young centre-back in Gomez and Clavan and a permanently injured centre-back in Messi, there's a gap there. Uh, Moreno is still a Liverpool football player. There's a gap there. Um, probably done enough in central midfield. And then the drop-off after Salamane, Firmino and Sturridge, if he stays fit, 
the drop off to Solanke, Ings and Brewster, who won't be fit for the new year anyway, is, is another gap. Um, so yeah, we haven't plugged all the gaps, but I'd say plugging the gaps in your spine is essential. And I think we have done that. What about what about centre back though? I mean, you know, we we, we heard that uh, who was injured? It Matip's injured, Clavan's injured, isn't he? Uh, yeah, I I mean that's the biggest that's the biggest worry. Maybe is I mean at once you step down from Van Dijk and Lovren, and you know if Gomez has to play five games, you know he's he's a good young player, and maybe that could be the making of him, but also. That's a scary prospect if Gomez has to play, you know, five league games or five league games and a handful of Champions League games under that pressure. Not a, it's not a reassuring thought. Well, yeah, totally. I mean, I agree. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, well, I mean, as you say, Jamie, you know, the spine is fundamental here. With regards to the gaps, yeah, again, I agree. I also think that at centre-back, in addition to the fact that, you know, Matip, uh, unfortunately, you know, after a promising start, dropped off and also now is always injured. And, you know, Clavon's missed quite a lot of games through illness. Um, and Joe Gomez is only young. And obviously, if you're looking at a right-sided centre-back, Joe Gomez and a right-back, Trent Alexander-Arnold, with a combined age of probably, like your age, Owen, I'd say, uh, they're <laughs> not, um, you know, it's not they're not experienced and you can't sort of put that pressure on those two. So, And I also think that, you know, while Dejan Lovren did enjoy a renaissance last season after Van Dijk joined, he's yeah. maybe never far away from a meltdown either, which uh, is some, you know, even though it might never happen again, it's happened so many times that it's always going to be in our heads, isn't it? I think I think that no matter how long Dejan Lovren plays in Liverpool for, we're always going to think, when's the next mistake coming? When's the next absolute Lovren rip? going to happen so I think that he's maybe someone that you could upgrade upon in the centre I also think that you know we have done enough in the midfield but you know Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain who would probably start is going to be out injured for a year and you think with the if he's out injured for a year you know the 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 sheer you know the sheer sort of size of that injury the, the, the fact that he is a physical specimen and his power and his directness was so important you know is he going to return the same player with the same sort of physical capabilities? I, yeah, I hope so, because I, and I've got to admit, when we signed him, I was sort of I just thought it was a bit of a you know 35 million sort of uh, pet project for the manager. Uh, but you know, a couple of months into his Liverpool career, after a sort of slow start, he he showed everyone exactly what he could do. But I, mean, I still think that in centre mid there is a gap there because I think that this is probably the biggest example that we have in in there is that Jordan Henderson is a very good player. He's very good and we saw it at the World Cup. We saw it when England played against sides, you know, like Colombia, who were quite good but not great when England played against Tunisia. You know, Jordan Henderson on the ball, very good. However, the second England come up against a Croatia who have a Luka Modric, an Ivan Rakitic, Brozovic, they can bring Kovacic off the bench. You kind of see Henderson's limitations. I think and, and it's he's a really easy target, and this is not something that's supposed to be completely directed at him, complete, 
because a lot of people who hate Jordan Henderson say that he's rubbish, and I really don't think he's rubbish. I just don't think he is of probably of a quality in the position that he played for us last season to be playing in a team that are going to win a league title. I think that when he comes up against top draw opposition, we saw it in a Champions League final against Tony Cruz and Luka Modric and Casemiro. The centre of the park was just Real Madrid's. And I just think that maybe in midfield, that's a position that we could upgrade upon. Uh, in the front line, I'll finish now. Um, in the front line, uh, Jamie talked about the backup. But I always think the signing of Shakiri is going to help quite a lot there because while he is an obvious drop-off from a Salah or a Mane, it's not as big a drop-off to a Danny Ings or playing uh, a perennially unfit Adam Lallana there. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'd come back on the Hendo point, though, Joe. On He's gone this summer from, you know, on the basis that Fabinho and Cato work out. Since Coutinho left, our most important central midfielder to probably the worst, and I don't think he's a bad player, but the worst of our starting three. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's yeah. I mean but, I think, but I think that that's maybe, uh, yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean, and that's probably where in in a functional three, I think he's perfectly good. I just yeah, I agree that when you ask him to be the dominant personality in centre midfield, that's not his game. He's not going to do that. He can do it against. If you play Brighton at home, then he'll he will do it and he'll be great. But you come against the sides, you know, against the Manchester City, for example, who have an absolute. <laughs> an embarrassment of riches is probably the right thing to say in midfield for them. And even, you know, you look at, say, like Tottenham, when they came to Anfield last season, you know, how good they were in centre midfield. Moussa Dembele sort of like handing people off like in rugby, just bouncing off people, running to the centre of the park. Yeah, but now Henderson is one of a three, and he's, as you say, maybe three out of three, or even the first reserve in the midfield, depending on Wijnaldum's form and how long yeah. James Milner Renaissance can continue. I think that's his you know, his right position in the pecking order. I just think that as we saw last season and again with England, when he's tasked with being the the main man in central midfield, he's not that guy. But yeah, I think all right, it's fair enough and I take your point and I hopefully I've uh, explained myself as well. It well, it's brilliant. Thank you so much, um, both of you. I mean, two you know marvelous points there. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna say with with Henderson that I would like to see him sort of freed up a little bit from the number six role because I agree that it's not it's not it's still not his ideal position. Uh, and now we've got Fabio, so I don't know. We're gonna we yeah, can well, it's not his ideal position. But also, and the whole thing you have to think about yes. is that last season. I saw a stat going around on Twitter, which obviously is not the greatest place in the world to get stats from, but that Dejan Lovren was involved in more goals last season than Jordan Henderson. And obviously playing in a number six role, that's not your primary it's not your primary focus to set up goals, but I think he scored one league goal and no Champions well, League goals. Yeah, but I wouldn't pay no... much attention to that because, you know, if you look at Iniesta's stats throughout his career, I mean, it's really hardly any goals and hardly any yeah. assists. It's way less than... I know what you mean, but, I, yeah, but I, I think that putting those two players in the same sentence is maybe uh, 
a little generous no, to Jordan Henderson. I'm not saying I'm not saying that Henderson is as talented as Iniesta, but what I'm saying is, you know, in terms of making the team tick, you know, they Henderson's very good at that. You know, he, his job last season was to get the ball and pass it, get the ball and pass it, get the ball and pass it. On no account was it to run forward and get anywhere near the goal. So I don't think. Yeah. You know, I just think that, in, I think that in general last season, we just didn't get enough goals from midfield. And that was one big thing that yes. killed us, I think. And losing yes. Emre Kant, who is probably the most threatening of the midfield three, yes. is not ideal, but you're hoping that Cater replaces that. And obviously, oh, he will. in the 13-14 oh, season, Henderson scored, I think it was seven league goals in the 13-14 season, where he was uh -huh. playing a more advanced role in Gerald Stephen. Yes. So I would be absolutely... Delighted, and really do hope that he can he can do that again this season if Fabinho helps to free him up. Okay, that's all we've got time for from those two for now. But in our next episode, we'll go back to Joe and Jamie in our big cop on preview of the season that's coming soon looking at how Liverpool FC shape up against our rivals but for now we're going to stick with transfers and the next segment has some slightly dodgy audio think limp and opaque as opposed to crisp and clear however I think the content is very interesting because I'm talking with a very special guest about Nabil Fekir Apparently, he failed his medical. The deal was therefore, in my opinion, dead. It was a carcass. It was left on the side of the road for the flies and the vultures of Twitter to feed on. Twitter's crazy. I don't know if you know about that. I mean, you know, it was Fekir deal was supposed to be announced on there last night. It was supposed to be announced by another account tonight. And someone is 10,000% sure of something or other happening at some point or other. Come on, Rex. Come on, find a reasonable source. This is what I've tried to do. I'm on the phone right now with Jacques Santucci, who, in the words of the great James Pierce himself, is a respected French journalist. Hello, Jacques. Hello, mate. How are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. Now, just to tell the listeners about you, you work for RMC Sports, who first broke the story of Fekir back on May the 6th, which was the week before we beat Brighton, and it was uh, way before the Champions League final. Um, so, Jack, I'm going to dive straight in like a Labrador into the Mediterranean in August. Is the carcass of the Fekir deal twitching at all or does it continue to fester like a curry and beer fart well uh i don't exactly know the facts and the, the mind of uh, jean-michel Olas, the Lyon president and all the all the information i've got came from uh, from loic tenzi one of my colleagues uh, yes. he's the one who, who broke the new, broke the news back then okay um what we know is that the there has been a problem with the with the medical. That's what everybody knows, really. Yes, yes. Uh, Liverpool were interested. The official news now is that Liverpool uh, have resolved interest. Uh, that's the official news from uh, coming from the club, right. and uh, and now Leon is uh, is hoping to to make him sign sign a new deal. Okay, so, it, it's his so knees, it, isn't it? It's, it? it's something to do with his knees. I mean, I, I yeah, it came from came uh -huh. from his knee. Had uh, okay. he made his uh, his ACL uh, like last, last year or two years ago? Right, very well. Yeah, had another problem this year. Uh, was like uh, he missed like like a month. Had a small uh, small major operation, but his um, his knee also had a, had an issue. 
and uh, that's why that's why I think the the club uh, went away from from him. Okay, so um, in general, because there are so many people who think they know things or pretend they know things is better. There are so many people who pretend they know things, know things on platforms like Twitter. Um, as a journalist, like, how do you find these things out, or is that some kind of secret in the in the profession? I mean, how does your colleague Loic, for example, how does he find these things out? Uh, I can speak to in his name, like okay, uh, officially, sure, but yeah. I can tell you how the how the job is done, like around the world. Yeah, it sure. Could be a, it could be news journalist or sports journalist. It, it all works the same for for everybody in this job. Uh, you have tools inside clubs, inside federation. Okay. Uh, you can be friends with players, with agents, and uh, these are the ones who who give you news, really. And um, and there are two 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 types of situation. The one where when there is a trust between the journalist and the source, and uh, and there is another where um, when the players and when the people from inside football clubs need journalists to to make up stories to. To grow the antes, maybe to to up the, the prices of players, like doing a like a war chest, maybe sometimes giving false information as well, like information that can help them. That's what the the journalist job is really hard, and that's that's the difference between Twitter and the, and the real life journalism. Yes, exactly. Because you have to be sure sure of your source. You have you, mm -hmm. you need to have multiple sources, and you have to check facts. And journalists who don't check facts uh, are not good journalist and that's where you you get trapped and that's when you you give false information and when you give one false information two false information uh by the time you nobody trusts you anymore yeah so okay. that's why you, you have to be really cautious on what you say what you write when you're sure you can give information but you know that's kind of a tricky game between clubs people players and journalists because yeah you never know whatever is true or whatever is wrong and you have to check you have to do the job and yeah, that's why that's the difference between Twitter and, and the real life. Excellent. So yeah, you have to be very careful to guard your reputation, or you could be mm -hmm. you could be out of a job. Um, excellent. Yeah. First of all, your reputation, and the, the most important the most important thing, sorry, is the reputation of the of your own player. Because yeah. if you're working for yourself, you're saying something bad. Then uh -huh. okay, your name said something bad. But if you work like for a big company, like let's say in England, Sky Sports, or the BBC, or, yeah. or anything else. Uh -huh. And if you say some bad, bad things once, twice, three times, then your employer is going to come and say, don't say thing anymore, you know. I don't trust you. I'm your employer, I don't trust you. That's a real bad thing. Yes, okay. And uh, as part of your part of your job, because you're, you're also a massive Reds fan, aren't you? I mean, you, you, go, to, I mean, you go to Anfield as, as much as possible, right? And yeah, uh, to away to, matches. And... I've been to 11 games last year. Oh, went to Kiev, Maribor, Hoffenheim, wow. uh, Porto, Seville, and Rome, yeah, and Manchester also. Oh, yeah, did, uh, the whole uh, the whole campaign last year. I'm planning to do the same this year. Excellent, excellent. And uh, I mean, are you, did you have any particular favourite matches from last season? Oh, um, the home game against Manchester was something else against Manchester City. Yeah, uh, Anfield was something else. Uh, I've been to Dortmund, like in the Europa League three years ago. Uh, that was great, but being there on the court against Manchester City, for another English club, uh, Anfield was absolutely bouncing. You could hear Ali, Ali, Ali from all the stands together, <laughs> and the, the, the display from the boys was absolutely exceptional. So yeah, that, that was the key moment. And also, uh, 
the best moment was in, in Kiev in the day the day before the final the um, the day of the final yeah when all the Reds was in, were in um, in Chevchenko Park with Jamie Webster and the and the guys from the Anfield Lab from Brilliant. the boss nights doing the show that was absolutely a, a fantastic moment the best moment of the campaign. I've heard about it and I've read about it and uh, you know I try not to get jealous I try just to be happy <laughs> for everybody so I'm very happy for everyone who was yeah, there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, let's say, for example, because Jurgen Klopp has intimated that, uh, you know, that our transfer business could be done for this season. So, I mean, if that's true and, uh, you know, that comes from the man himself, then, uh, um, you know, uh, are you happy with our squad this season? Do you think we need one more? Do, we, do you think we need a Fekir type? Or not? Uh, first of all, yeah. I think all the Reds could be happy about the... The transfer that has been done, we fixed our problem. We needed a midfielder, we need a goalkeeper. Uh, those problems were fixed. Yeah. Uh, then if we became better when Coutinho left, so so now doing the business with the, with the with the Coutinho type of player, which could be Fakir, uh, which could be the he could be the the Coutinho replacement. I don't know. My only my only take of this. Is uh is I only trust Jurgen Klopp. So if someone came come, uh, could be Nabil Fekir, could be the little American Christian Pulisic. Yes. Yeah, it could even be my 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 dad really. I okay. Trust Jurgen Klopp. Yeah. Exactly. Klopp. That's it. Exactly. We have to we have to you know praise him for for getting all of these big stars in. I think the spending's up to around 180 million or something, which uh, yeah, we're, we're uh, we were doubting Sadio Mane, we were doubting Mohamed Salah, we were doubting Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. They all became really, really good players. So he's yeah. he made his job. He knows his job better than we know. Have fun. Yes, exactly. Our job is to support him. That's exactly. I agree 100%. I agree absolutely. Well, you know, I think that's pretty much what all we've got time for for the moment. But thank you very much, Jack. It would be great My to ha- have you back on the on the Cop On podcast yeah. at some point Whenever if you're you up want, for that. Thanks. Thank you very much, my friend, and have a have a marvellous evening and uh, enjoy the game. Our next game's against Napoli, and, you know, I hope you enjoy that because we're recording Thank this you, on mate. Thursday Thank night. You. So, uh, yeah, cheers, all the best. Thanks. Bye, mate. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for for this episode of Cop On confetti guns of thanks to all of my guests today jamie is on twitter at jj underscore connolly joe is at joe underscore in underscore espania also jack has a brilliant instagram that i'm sure you'll all love follow him at rouge liverpool As usual, please send poems, love letters, ransom notes and death threats to coponpodcast at gmail.com and you can follow us on Twitter at coponpodcast. I've been amazed at how much response we've received in this last week from all over the world, so do please give us a follow and my guests too. And thus, as the world spins a little closer to the biggest of kickoffs this weekend, may the glory of our lovely club and Mohammed Salah beat strongly in your hearts. Walk on, brothers and sisters. Talk on. This is Cop On. Copping out. Bye. Love you.